1: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash
0: weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah. Hello, hello. This is Mike Lee from Vancouver, Canada. A huge fan of all the Underarm servers out there. You are listening to the Tennis
0: Podcast.
1: Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your penultimate tennis podcast of 2021. A particular hello to Mike Lee, who you heard uh assisting with our intro there, Mike is going to be guest editing today's show, or actually, in fact, has guest edited today's show. He has selected from your submissions uh, some listener questions and he's put his own in there as well. Uh, David, Mike sounds like he means business to me. I feel I suddenly feel quite a lot of pressure to perform in this listener question special.
0: Yeah, devotee of the underarm serve and I noticed that one of his questions is about the underarm serve as well. So, uh, you know, I know that if I'm returning his serve, I'm going to be on my toes.
1: He's he's worried that the underarm serve, I don't I don't want to spoiler anything for later in the show, but he's worried that the underarm serve um is a, is a flash in the pan trend and not here to stay. Um so hopefully hopefully Spoiler alert, we can provide assurances for you, Mike, later in the show. Um, yes, it's our penultimate show of 2021. Listener questions. We'll be back next week with listener questions. Uh, and then, well, I was going to say, and then the tennis season starts. But actually, the tennis season, in in some ways, has already begun for 2022. Uh, because we have had the uh, Abu Dhabi uh, Mubadala Open. Mabadla
0: the, World Championships or something. The Mabadala
1: World f- Five Championships with, <laughs> with a few people in it. And with poor Emma who's stuck in a in a local uh hotel uh in self isolation because she has got covid. She had to collect her BBC sports personality of the year trophy last night which had magically appeared in her hotel room. Um from from self-isolation she i love that she didn't even uh she couldn't she, she didn't fake being surprised about winning because clearly she had the trophy right next to her she just sort of held it up and went well well yeah because i've got the trophy well they'd
0: all, they'd all got a trophy all the people at remote destinations apparently in case they won did they but i do agree with you this there absolutely was no no look of great shock to her response <laughs>
1: <laughs> which i appreciated i appreciated she's um she's of course a very worthy winner and to do that in a in an olympic year when great britain was so successful at the tokyo olympics as well is extraordinary i matt didn't think that tom daly looked too happy about that result did you did you detect a bit of a bit of saltiness from tom daly or was i looking too hard i don't know whether
2: tom daly does saltiness does he
1: I don't know. Watch it back, Matt. Mm, I thought okay. he could. Just, just a tad, just a it tad was, salty. It was a bit
2: awkward for those that were there, wasn't it?
1: Yes. Just awkwardly hanging out on the stage, staring at a screen where. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing was. Yeah.
0: I would love to hear one of those sort of runner up speeches where they just go, I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, how, <laughs> I've
1: have got a you great cho- personality.
0: Have you, Lot, chosen her over me? I mean, yes, she's won the U.S. Open, but did you see what I did?
1: <sighs> it's amazing how parochial people get about their sports, isn't it? You know how 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 have, how have these people, you know, comparing within sports? It's like comparing, sorry, in, into sports comparisons. It's like intergenerational compa- comparisons in tennis, isn't it? It it leads nowhere. It's impossible. It is inevitably subjective, and yet. There is so much het upness about it, which is mostly amusing and sometimes infuriating. Uh, but yes, that's happened. The Mubadler World Team Brilliant Tennis Championships has happened. Andrey Rublev had his two days off and was back in action. Don't don't know how much of the Maldives he squeezed in to those two days. Don't think maybe that Andre Rublev does the Maldives. Uh, but anyway, tennis is back. Um, and uh, yeah, that happened. But um, when tennis is sort of properly back, we'll be talking about it, of course. But in the meantime, we have Mike and we have listener questions. And they're good ones. They're really good questions here. So let's get stuck into them. The first... From Mike, imagine you were told by a time traveller from the future that Novak Djokovic ended his career with fewer majors than Rafael Nadal, despite having no major injury issues for the remainder of his career. How could you imagine a scenario like this playing out in a plausible way? And what do you think are the chances something like this could happen? Um, Well, I think there's a... I don't think it's a... A likely scenario by any stretch of the imagination I definitely think that Novak Djokovic is is highly likely to end up with with more majors than Nadal and Federer but I certainly think it's entirely plausible that Djokovic doesn't win any more slams and Nadal wins one more French Open this year that's not that's not silly to me it's not what I'm predicting will happen but yeah, I, I could see it happening. You know, Djokovic doesn't play the Australian Open because he's not vaccinated. He loses momentum. Nadal focuses on the on the clay season, comes in, sneaks the French, and then suddenly, it, you know, the landscape all looks a bit different, doesn't it? Nothing's nothing's for certain. Um, that is my feeling on it. Does anybody feel differently, Matt?
2: No, I think I share your opinion overall. I think the Grand Slam race, as I like to call it, rather than the GOAT debate, I suppose, has has sort of constantly shifted in this way. There have been times when it really looked like Federer was going to finish with the most. I think when Nadal equaled him at Roland Garros in 2020, I would have thought Nadal would finish with the most. And with Djokovic doing what he did this year, I suddenly think he's probably going to finish with the most. So if history has taught us anything, it's that things can change quite quickly and it can veer off in a in a different direction. I agree, of course, Djokovic looks primed to finish with the most at the moment. But yeah, there's a plausible scenario where he doesn't play the Australian Open. There's a plausible scenario, I think, where a vaccine mandate comes into more tournaments and Djokovic will have a decision to make there as well um there's a plausible scenario where Medvedev becomes i think his equal on a on a hard court at, at this stage in his career anyway you know team we've got still to come back zverev has made improvements on hard court i think those hard court slams might get harder for djokovic to win over the next few years um, he still seems quite far ahead at Wimbledon to me. That's the one where I think someone is really going to have to step up and and stop Djokovic. But yeah, it's it's possible that that they might. And obviously, the the sort of second part of this scenario is we need Nadal to win one more major, and of course, never write him off at the French Open. I mean, frankly, anywhere, but in particular the French Open. He is so great there. He's already won thirteen. It doesn't seem like that huge an arse to think that he might win one more, Um, especially considering what it took for Djokovic to beat him this year at the French Open. It's not likely that Djokovic will play that well again, I think, at Roland Garros. And he only just beat Nadal. You know, he he won fair and square in four sets, but it was a mighty effort. And, you know, I think it's, it's... Entirely possible that Nadal goes into Roland Garros as the favourite in a few months' time, depending on how his foot is and how his injuries are. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think, of course, Djokovic is favoured to end up with the most, but it's not. It's not impossible that he that he doesn't.
1: Yeah, the, the, there have been so many moments where scenarios have felt inevitable, haven't they? And then, and then suddenly, suddenly, you know, things change on a dime and. You you realize how silly you are and how much recency bias there is and um, yeah, David. Of course, you think you think they're all ending on twenty, don't you? Which I'm so
0: here for. Well, I think it's unlikely now, but I think it, but it's not. But it doesn't feel impossible either because I do think tension is going to grow for Djokovic and uh, and the field are going to get closer. The, the and there's going to be more of them. I think Medvedev in particular has put his head out and shown that he he can take him out uh, when he's playing his best stuff. I I think the the thing with the injuries, uh, the assumption here is that Djokovic is fully fit for the remainder of his career or at least not suffering major injuries, but I think Nadal's fitness is just as critical to Nadal having any say in this matter and we would we would require I think if Nadal managed to get back to full fitness himself, he he could win two or three more French Opens because I think about Federer, what was it, four years ago that he he, he won two or three in the space of a couple of years and that would have put him at the same sort of age as Nadal is now or, or, or will be. And other things being equal, Nadal is still far and away the best player at Roland Garros, generally speaking yes he didn't win this last one but you'd st- I, I agree with matt you'd still make him the favorite if he's fit and until alcaraz comes a- along and catches him up and overtakes him which i think will happen in a couple of years time he it's, might it's squeeze in your, a couple It's in your
1: diary david in.
0: well you know yeah, yeah i think i think i mean alcaraz almost looks like he's tracking ahead of what i thought he would Really, in terms of that prediction, I can't exactly remember which data put on it because it was a different phone and I've lost it. Uh, but anyway, it was about three years. And if you like not that.
1: transferred your your iCal,
0: I don't I don't know how to do that.
1: I think it I think it will have automatically transferred.
0: It hasn't. I've been searching. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which means that when the time comes, you can be extremely vague about it, which is yep. very annoying.
0: That's good. Isn't it? Hmm. No, we the definitely
2: is- tweeted it. Was, oh yes we did, we did.
1: You can't escape from your internet oh. history David, right. those are facts. Um, okay, <laughs> well just to round off this question with the supplementary then question then, uh, if I had to ask you for a prediction now on Monday the 20th of December 2021 who you are predicting to win the men's French Open title in 2022 <laughs> what name would you give me? <laughs>
2: I will give you the name Rafael Nadal.
1: David, I'm so I am so sorry to do this, but but I've done it now.
0: Carlos Alcaraz. Oh my you, god! You
1: didn't. <laughs> Hang on, I feel like about three weeks ago you were saying Caspar Reed was going to win it.
0: No, he's going to lose in the final. <laughs>
1: Casper Ruud is going to lose in the final to Carlos Alcaraz.
0: Yeah. That's what you come here for, folks. <laughs> we might be done.
1: <laughs> How on earth do we follow that? Mm. Mics you...
0: have dropped all around.
1: <laughs> are, you, are you serious,
0: Dave? Billie Jean's dropped her mic. Look at that. Are, are, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think about it, look, what I've said about Nadal is if he's fully fit, he's a favourite. I... Do you really think he's going to be fully fit? That foot? I don't know. I, I'm not confident in that foot. I, re- I don't think he is either. Djokovic is, yeah, he played out of his mind in order to win that French Open just gone. But you put him up against a fast-improving Carlos Alcaraz, I'm not sure that he takes him out. Then you look at everybody else. Medvedev's not that There's a difference between
1: a one-off and a one-off win, though, and a and a... And a- Back to back. Alcaraz just best looks of like five, he's improving seven. at such yeah, look, I, a rate I, I and... agree. I, in 2023, in yeah, sure. I'll... How, David, do I'll you feel about you uh, Dominic
2: Team's wrist compared to Rafa Nadal's foot?
0: Not confident. Okay. But look, I He's don't, been, until he's until been you...
1: taken out by a non COVID cold at the moment, Dominic Team.
2: Yes, he's delaying He said, his he said I've got a cold. Brackets,
1: not COVID. But I'm no longer, he's not playing his scheduled warm up events for the Australian Open, which isn't, it's not coming back with a bang, is it?
0: I'm always worried about wrist injuries. I think, yeah. I think he will get back, but I don't, I don't feel confident that that. He's lost look, a lot, has he? A ti- it takes time to build up. You know, you saw him when he returned last year, it took him a while that he couldn't seem to get any confidence either and all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I don't know. And I look around and, and there are other players. Medvedev doesn't convince me on clay. I don't Sitsa think he pass. ever will. Sitsa pass. Look, his game's perfect for it, isn't it? Um, well, he's just had surgery. But he's just had surgery. There are unknowns about him um, in that regard. And we saw what Alcaraz did to him, you know. It's and, all, all and,
1: about Alcaraz, Matt. It's all then, uh, coming back to and, Alcaraz. Uh, and look, I
0: think. I mean, Zverev is getting closer on all of these services maybe apart from grass. He's getting closer, but I still think that the natural one, he's the natural is Alcaraz.
1: I agree. He's going to win French Opens. I just don't know if he's going to do it in 2022. But I Never love it, I, David. But it's just my I love it.
0: My prediction is uh is in <laughs>
1: Right, I'm, af- I'm, af- I'm afraid, folks. The rest of the podcast is going to be a disappointment uh, because we've we've peaked very early. But we'll uh, we'll do what we can. The next question is about underarm serving. I wonder
0: if there are any takers out there who agree with me.
1: There's a difference between agreeing it's possible, which I'm sure many would, and of course, it's possible, and and predicting it. You think that is the most likely scenario? Anyway, we must move on, David. <laughs> what did Alcaraz
0: to... do this year? I can't even remember. Well, he, be
1: he beat, he beat Pass at the US Open.
0: No, but at the French Open. I can't remember oh, what at the of French. French Open he had.
1: Um... Well,
0: he got injured in Madrid. Did he, did he play the French Open? See, it's all coming together, just like Nadal. Remember when he came on the, on the scene and he couldn't play the French Open until he won it? Mm.
2: No, but he did play the French Open, as it turns out. And oh. he lost in the third round to Jan Lennard Struf.
0: Oh, that's a bit disappointing. <laughs> Come on, Carlos. Pull just your socks
1: turned eight, up. He had just turned eighteen, David.
0: That's probably where he's more vulnerable against a big guy who's just gonna blitz it and knock him off the court with serves and that. Hmm. I'm still going with it.
1: Okay. okay. <laughs> right then we must move on to Underarm Serving folks, because this is this is definitely what Mike is in this for. Um, This is where I feel the pressure to deliver for our guest editor, Mike. Okay, he says, Since Michael Chang did his famous underarm serve many years ago, it was barely used in professional tennis. More recently, though, we've seen many of the top players, Medvedev, Bublik, Kyrgios and even Murray, employ this tactic. Do you see this trend continuing? Um. In, in, interestingly, what struck me and is absolutely accurate, but what struck me about that the list of players is there's no f- female players. I can't think why. Why are the women not underarm serving? Why has the trend not been reflected in the women's game?
2: Sarah Rani does it, but for different reasons.
1: Y- yeah, she can't serve. Mm. I mean, I do it sometimes because I I can't serve. Do you? Mm. Yeah, you I've got a real to... I've got a real ball toss problem. Yeah. You've done one in a match. I, d- I did it once in a family family Christmas Day doubles game. Did and you announce uh, you
2: were going to do it, or did you just no, no,
1: no, How no? Did that go down too? too embarrassing. Who's that. on the other end? Uh, my mum and my brother. Oh, I think Math swatted it away for a dismissive winner. Oh, you know? so
0: you didn't get any of that Alexander Bublik proper underspin wearing... No, it. no,
1: it was it was a it was a mark of a- absolute desperation. Right. Anyway, we are t- we sorry, we're discussing here the tactical underarm serve. Yes. Um so taking away Sara Irani, I don't think
0: why are they not doing it. I mean, I can only think of Hingis. I can't think of any mm. other female player who's done it. I uh, I can't I can't even remember seeing the Irani once, but i mean I totally understand why that why she would do it given how awful her serve is. Um, well, <laughs> I mean it is. Back, isn't David? It? It's like it's like a little pat up in the air.
1: Um okay well maybe that's a separate <laughs> separate question but, but but one to consider. Um I, I would love to see it continuing. I I worry that in the way that it's currently deployed, the underarm serve, it has sort of reached a a plateau of its usage and it's very much used as a as a disruption shot, isn't it? Just throw it in. Everybody always claims afterwards when they're asked about it that you know, they hadn't given it much thought. It was just, oh, well, I'll I'll, throw this in. I I wish it was, you know, just a, a, a recognised tactic. And in practice sessions, it was something that you discussed with coaches, you know, when they're in this return position or in this sort of situation, this is when it'd be useful to use that underarm serve. And I don't know, I feel like that would be the next progression of it to, for it to be a recognized formal tool in the game rather than just a a disruption. I mean I'm glad that it is even used in the capacity that it is. I too am a massive fan of the underarm serve, but um and maybe if it becomes a sort of standard part of the toolkit it'll become less fun. Um but I feel like that would be the the next the next step in the evolution of the underarm serve. What do you guys think?
2: Well, do you agree? I mean, you you all both know better than me that there was a gap from Michael Chang to now. Is oh, that yes. fair to say that it that it did basically it was non-existent, really?
1: A gap that was filled by most pundits saying they thought
0: it was disrespectful. Okay, and so and an, and an assumption that Michael Chang actually only did it because he was cramping. Mm. Mm.
2: So it didn't happen for not for tactical reasons, but for, as you've said, it was it was seen as disrespectful. It was seen as a disruption. Um, what I find interesting is that there's perhaps something to be said for this younger generation we've got now, Bublik, Medvedev, Kyrgios perhaps, sort of being quite willing to express themselves on a tennis court. And I know Bublik was asked about this during the Davis Cup. And look, Tennis is probably not as sort of progressive a space as it should be. But I think generally society is more so. And you heard Medvedev's comments at, at Davis Cup saying he didn't want to follow Nadal and Federer. He wants to be himself on the court. And I wonder sort of a top player like that saying something like that, whether that will filter down two younger players and they'll think, yeah, to hell with it. I don't, I don't care. An underarm serve is fine. And even if it is frowned upon, I don't care. That's me. That's what I want to do. So I wonder whether we've overcome that barrier of it being considered disrespectful or we will overcome that barrier over the next few years. But I do agree, for tactical reasons, that's what needs to happen, I think, for it to be cemented in the game. People need to be using it tactically. And I'm not sure whether we're quite there yet. But I think we've probably overcome... The barrier of sort of being being embarrassed about using hmm.
0: it. I, I disagree about the tactical side. I think that that is happening now. I think Murray said that very openly. If the guy's going to, who, who did he do it against? I can't remember now. But he said if he's going to stand it back, was it
1: Alcaraz? I think it was Alcaraz, yeah. Alcaraz at Indian Wells. He said
0: if he's going to stand back there, it seems like a good tactic. So he did it. And but, I. Th-
1: but, 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 he did David, but he also claimed it only just came to him in the moment that he didn't go into the match.
0: Yeah, but with it in his toolkit. I, I, I could imagine a coach against the, the real extremes of playing at the back team, Medvedev, Nadal, one or two like that, Vavrinka, if he comes back. Players who who stand with their backs to the the backstop and who are probably going to end up becoming more prevalent because it does tend to go in that trend of following what's what the top players are doing, and those are the guys that everybody's watching now. Give yourself more room. Wind up into the thing. Make yourself impossible to beat from from the back of the courts. Make them miss. All that sort of thing. I, I think that there will be more coaches, and it's still going to be more as a disruptor. You're not going to see somebody hitting ten normal serves and three underarm serves, but I think you could. I could imagine seeing one a set in in certain matches where a player just thinks, I'm just going to chuck it in. Just keep the the, the guy guessing. The player guessing and and i i would imagine maybe it's going to i think probably the, one of the reasons it doesn't hasn't come in in the women's game yet is i don't think players are staying as far back because they don't need to leave themselves quite as much room for the serve to return the serve maybe that's one of the reasons but i think once one player does it and i can imagine Ons Jabeur doing it i can imagine Igos Swiatek mm. doing it players like that who've got it got that flair and that imagination then i think it could start coming in more over but yeah, you know, like I say, it's it's generally speaking an easier serve to return, obviously. But as a tactic, just as to to get the player guessing, I can imagine it coming in more than it is right now, and certainly as a tactic.
1: M- music to Mike's ears, David. You <laughs> and get, me, Mike. I get the feeling, knowing what I do about Mike, that that was that was what he wanted to hear.
0: I mm. I, I actually. I haven't been able to play Solihull Simon for the last six months because he's been injured. And uh, obviously, I've I've had my long COVID a little bit the last few months. so I haven't played too much. But we've talked about getting out there again. And I I honestly, I just really hope it occurs to me to hit one at some point soon because I want to have a go in a match.
2: Does Solihull Simon stand way behind the
0: baseline?
1: To receive David's serve, Matt, would you? Did you?
0: I didn't. Yeah, but I wasn't having a good service day that Matt, that day, Matt. Right. Know. I've been yeah. getting the howitzers out mm. since then. Um, so uh, the He stands to bounce
1: fir- before the net. He stands yeah.
0: further back than you, Matt, because he doesn't have a double-handed backhand that he can lean on. He has only a slice backhand, and he always runs around and always hits set out forehand. So he's got to leave himself plenty of room for that, that sort of combo. Mm.
1: Very Greg Rizetsky.
0: Yeah. He'll be delighted <laughs> with that.
1: Get, get well soon, Hole, Simon. What's the injury?
0: Uh, knee injury we get those at our age
1: is he um, is he on the is he on the track back to fitness
0: yeah well he's playing doubles um, okay with us so and he you know I think I might have convinced him
1: okay all right so it sounds like he is fit to play David he's just not playing you
0: he's ducking me
1: yeah okay running scared right well Mike I hope you're satisfied with that answer about the underarm serve Um, yes the trend is continuing and David Law is going to be the one to continue it.
0: He's, well, he's I know that take,
1: um, he's taking he's taking it upon himself, Mike, just for you.
0: It is a fact that whenever we see one, we all celebrate, but don't
2: we? Oh so. yeah. Do you remember when Daniel Medvedev served and volleyed behind an underarm serve? Big time. Uh, it it of the was season. a second
1: serve and volley on match point, wasn't it?
2: Tremendous.
1: Yeah. So I mean, he just it, hit it straight past him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, stupid, but great. <laughs> Okay, question number three from Mike. He says If the Labour Cup were to get rid of the Europe versus World format, how would you redesign the two teams? For me it would probably be the next gen players versus the old guard with an age cut off of around twenty eight, or perhaps champions players with at least two majors versus everybody else. And he's popped a little smiley face on the end of this question. Um
0: he just, I mean, he's on a wind up isn't he
1: <laughs> he is look it's it, this is this is not really the question um but for me, the answer is any significant format change which doesn't incorporate women uh is silly it's such an obvious
0: billie Jean agrees
1: she that's the equivalent of in parliament when they all shout here here. here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Billy Jean. Yes, yes. I'm. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Quiet. It was the postman. Billy Jean. (laughs) Billy Jean. Quiet. (laughs) Billy Jean. (laughs) Oh, now there's a fox on the telly. Quiet. Good girl. Okay. I mean, yes, you, you could do. One of those format changes, Mike suggested, maybe they would be interesting. um But why wouldn't you just make it a mixed event and make it a lot better? Um, sorry, Mike, for that's not but answering the your question. But the specifics of his just question, so, so obvious,
0: Catherine. To, if you were going to get rid of Europe against World, is there something else that would work? I mean, let's let's assume that they're also at the same time going to bring women in and make it that. Is there a because I must admit, I've really struggled with this. I, I've been thinking about it since I read the question last night, and I, I can't. I'm struggling with it in terms of com- coming up with a, a a format that I would care about. That's that's the the problem. You you need to that they were trying to get the equivalent of Europe against the U.S. in Ryder Cup, mm. something that. And look, if somebody had told me. Before I discovered the Ryder Cup, that Europe against the United States was going to be a thing that I would care about, I would have been a bit surprised about that in a way. I think because it's it's not the most obvious colours to to know your your affections towards and your your loyalties towards. I don't think because um, I've always it's always to me being Great Britain or England as an English person myself. I, don't, I just don't know. What, what do you think, Matt? Well. I mean, the
2: Labour Cup has gone down the route of trying to be more and more legitimate in terms of the ATP claiming to count head to heads and getting that designated spot in the calendar and having qualification scenarios, whatever. And I think maybe for the long term, if they do want it to be a Ryder Cup type event... Those are the sort of things, the sort of steps they needed to take to make it like that, to sort of solidify its place in the tennis calendar. I personally just think it should go all in with the exhibition route and just be a fun all-star event that should be men and women, absolutely. And there should be a a draft of picking teams and, you know, just the whole thing really embrace entertainment, I suppose, more than anything. We don't we don't need the Lever Cup, but it can be a nice addition to the season Is sort of how I end up thinking about it. Um, and yeah, I suppose there is room to do quirky things like young players versus older players or a team of lefties versus a team of righties or uh, quite like a, the team draft of, idea. a team of single-handers versus a team of double-handers. Like You could mix it up every year, I don't know, but just... Personally, I think it should embrace those exhibition elements more rather than do what it has done, which is try and become more and more legitimate. Look, I might be in the complete minority there, but no, I, I just I'm, think that would be No, I'm with fun. you on that.
1: Yeah, and that, that, that's something we say every time we review a Labour Cup, isn't it? Exhibition is not a dirty word. Some people won't be interested in, in anything other than, you know, tour, grand slam, ranking points, tennis. But plenty are, and that's great. That's great. There's absolutely a market and a place for exhibition tennis. Make yourself the ultimate exhibition. Love the idea of a draft. Um, really, really love the idea of a draft. That would be something that could set it apart. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they're not. They're not. I don't think those are bad suggestions, Mike, that you make. I mean, but you've you're gonna you're gonna come up against the issue with the fact that it is um, it's not automatic entry. It's I mean, I know they've sort of fudged some kind of legitimate entry um, criteria, haven't they? But but we know it's an it's an invitational event with appearance fees. So trying to create that sort of format in in an invitational scenario, next gen versus old guard. Well, you're going to have all the next gen players absolutely queuing up to play Lever Cup, aren't you? You know. Big uh, big check guaranteed, but you know, but but are you are you gonna get enough of the you know, Djokovic isn't keen on it, is he? If you're gonna have old guard, does that work without Djokovic? I'm not sure I'm not sure that it does. And if Djokovic chooses not to play, then instantly the whole the whole event is sort of delegitimized, isn't it? Um yeah or champions versus everyone else, but then you've got the issue of you know you need the 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 event is premised on or is trying to be premised on as you say, David making crowds care um and I don't know is that gonna make crowd crowds care um, any more than i mean ultimately, I think
2: the easiest fix if you think the Labour Cup is broken which maybe it isn't it has been a successful event I think I think the easiest fix is to stick with Europe versus the
0: world and add women yeah Yeah. because that would even it up in terms of competition competition as well wouldn't it yeah 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 done okay that's sorted that'll do then (laughs) but but yeah but not try I I still think it is trying it might not admit to this but I think it is trying to take davis cups fire and roll and and the, into because of how much it wants to mean something and and i don't think it should do that um but anyway yeah
1: lean into it. the fun many
0: mm. a time just we've talked be about fun it. jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
1: Right then, question number four that Mike has suggested. It comes in from Ron Buckmeyer on Twitter. Oh, God. Oh, God, I've just remembered what this question is. Um, I'm anxious. He says, can you predict the top five ranked players on the ATP and WTA tours at the end of 2022? Yes, I can.
2: Carlos
0: Alcaraz, Caspar Rouge. <laughs> I've actually made a late change in the last... Off- 48 seconds.
1: Off you go then, David. Yeah. It's over to you. So
0: I've drafted Carlos Alcaraz in based on my spur of the moment decision on a second. that he was going <laughs> to win. He wasn't
1: even in your top five.
0: No. I suddenly realised that that was slightly flawed, uh, given that he's going to win the French Open in six months' time. So I've, you, I've drafted he replace, him into number four. Who uh, did he replace? Stefanos Tsitsipas is gone. So... Your top five on the ATP circuit are Daniel Medvedev, Alexander Zverev, Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz, and Yannick Sinner.
1: Okay, in your women's?
0: Ash Barty, Paula Badosa, Iga Swiatek, Garbine Magarutha and Naomi Osaka.
1: I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, I don't know,
0: Catherine. You've just <laughs> got to be decisive and then people think you do know. <sighs> okay, no, so this
1: is... Uh, I'll be... Uh, okay, is is the is the are the parameters of this? We're assuming everyone stays fit because you can't predict injury. Or, for example, David, have you not selected Stefanos Tsitsipas
0: because you think he's going to have an injury hit year? It's it's definitely a factor that I've yeah. included. I've included team in that as well. I've included yeah. Nadal in that. You know, these are yeah. players that I don't think they're inferior to the ones I've chosen, but I am concerned about them
1: pass is an interesting one I could see him having a I could see him sort of not coping with a major injury well you know maybe trying to come back too soon or push it push it too far I don't know this is an interesting curveball for pass that um, yeah m- maybe he'll pass it with flying colours but I, I could see you know that being an on, ongoing blight throughout his season I don't know currently what his predicted sort of recovery trajectory is from that surgery um but Pass certainly he's not an automatic top five for me um can you tell that I'm stalling for time
0: yes Matt carry
2: on I mean I've seen videos of Sitsapas hitting already like I, I I'm not sure it is a major injury a major surgery he's had i think it's i think it's minor but i agree i i share the concerns generally but i think i have him in, in my top five um mine looks a lot like david's i would i would have medvedev djokovic zverev sits and i think i'm going to put team in there just maybe that's out of hope that his injury is is not too bad but I think it's a big leap for Alcaraz to get into the top five.
0: French open-ups.
2: I think it's quite a big leap for Yannick Sinner. Um, Sinner, I think, is my... He feels like the most interesting player to watch, maybe, next year to see what that trajectory is going to be. See what
0: that Davis Cup did to it as well.
2: Yeah, to see what that end-of-year experience did to him, to see whether he can carry that forward i think we're reaching the point where he will have played the number of matches that he and piatti were talking about that he needs and that will be Mm. the moment where he sort of you know truly breaks through um but i just i have real belief in dominic team and if he is if he is fit i think we're going to see him back to what he was twenty nineteen and, and, and twenty twenty as well, which is competing for the for the biggest title. So I'm gonna say not much movement among the men. The women's hard, very, very hard. I feel confident about Ashbarty. I feel pretty confident about Garbini and Muguruza I had Shviontech as well. I had Asaka as well, because I think you know, I think she can get another big win somewhere, maybe. Is this in order? Yeah, perhaps the US Open. Sort of. Um and I think maybe Sabalenka. I'm not necessarily predicting her to win a slam, but I think she can have another season doing what she did this year, which is sort of cleaning up at some events and making progress at slams, and that feels probably like it might be enough for a, for a top five.
1: Yeah, the, oh gosh, the women's is hard. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I I feel confident in Ashparti. Ashparti going to be there. I, I think Kritikova is going to be there. Oh, um, no, I didn't
0: choose Kritikova. Yeah. I feel so bad. I, I don't
1: know. I feel confident in Krzykova.
0: Um So do I. Can I change? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you have to sub someone out, David. Right, um carry on. Svontek had the most sort of consistent slam season of anyone last year. She's really sort of proved her consistency, but she's you know she's just split with her coach. There's maybe a bit of I definitely don't see her dropping away. I see her definitely top ten, maybe not maybe not top five. I, I, Muguruza is really filling me with confidence at the moment, so I'm going to go Barty. Muguruza, Krejčíková. I really want to put Ons Jabeur in there and. That's heart over head. But I want to do it. Uh. I'm going to go Osaka. I'm going I'm to go Osaka. So I've got one more spot. And do I ill-advisedly give it to, to Ons Jabur, or do I... Do I- I'm going to go Sabalenka. Sorry, Ons. I'm going to go Sabalenka for the same, same reasoning as Matt. Uh, on the men's side, definitely Medvedev. Djokovic... Assuming that more tournaments don't bring in mandatory vaccine policies, that is a that is a potential massive curveball in men's tennis. Um, yeah, that I mean that seriously changes things, changes the complexion of a lot of things. But if that doesn't happen, then then Djokovic, I do think Zverev uh, will stay hanging around in the top five. Rublev is currently number five, isn't he? I think he might have maxed out there, Rublev. So it's just a question of whether he can, you know, hang around there or thereabouts. I'm going to put team in as well, Matt. I'm Going to put him there. Nobody's mentioned Felix Auger Jerey Asim. Have we lost a bit of faith in him? Because I think two years ago, if we'd been asked for predictions two years ahead, we we might have put him there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It didn't even occur to me.
1: No. He's 11 in the world at the moment. Okay, I'm going to go for uh, Zverev, Medvedev, Djokovic, team, and Rude. Really? I don't know. <laughs> I, wow. I don't know.
2: I wasn't expecting that. I was not expecting
0: that from you. I think he's going to be really consistent. Of course he is, I'm... Oh, yeah. We know that. I told you that a year ago. However, you always... Whenever I bring up rude, you slightly right, oh, roll your know. eyes. I,
1: don't make me defend it, David. I just threw him <laughs> in there at the last minute. Could be anyone. Could be Sinner. Could, oh, it's probably going to be Sinner, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Uh, who, who are you subbing in for... Who are you subbing out for critique of a David?
0: Oh, um, I'm going to... I'm going to lose fiontech she's gonna okay. to go to
1: six you're keeping bedossa getting yeah. rid of fiontech
0: yeah she was number three a minute ago now she's number <laughs> six i actually ordered them
1: <laughs> yeah i'm i'm gonna duck out of doing that um okay god the women's is hard isn't it it feels like there's about 15 women that deserve to be I, I, to be top five. When
0: I d- I did the men's first and then went on to the women and trying to pick because I was doing them in order. I tried to pick number one and I, I was trying to think of a reason that Ash Barty might not finish number one. And I, I mean, aside from the pandemic or maybe grounding her again or something like that, I couldn't think of one. I just think she's the best all round player right now. And uh, but everybody else, I mean, I could have put fifteen players in the top five really mm. and made cases for. And mm. so. Yeah. Paola Badossa is, to some degree, I just, I really like her game. And I like the trajectory and the way she's mm. embracing everything. And I don't think feel like there's there's a lot of recent disappointment that is going to derail her. But who knows how she will move on in this sort of second season syndrome kind of thing of trying to back it up now. She's made this big breakthrough. Will she be okay with the next stage? Unknowns. Mm.
1: Okay. Okay, well, look forward to having that played back to us in a year's time and feeling silly. Thanks very much, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> we have time, I think, for one more question. Uh, Mike has selected this from City Dweller Country Dreamer on Instagram. And he, she, or they say, I'd love to know how David does live commentary on the radio, how Catherine just comes up with stuff to say on live TV. Can you two discuss your non-podcast jobs in more depth? And for Matt, can we hear more about his stat gathering and what he hopes to do in addition to the podcast later in life?
0: Who's going first? You, David. You spoke up. Okay. Uh, Well, how do I do live commentary on the radio? I don't really know. Um, I I remember when I first started, I did my first ever go at it um, in my wife's apartment watching an old recording of Goran Ivanisevic against Pat Rafter in the 2001 Wimbledon final and I just had a go uh, and just tried to describe it and I found it ever so difficult um, but then when I did it for the first time for real in 03 in the Australian Open um, yeah just because I was immersed in it it started to all come to me and the good news for me is it was a pretty small audience, so I could kind of try and figure out my way of doing things because the truth is if you listen back to radio commentators from generations ago, they would literally try to describe every single shot that is taking place. Now, I I find that... I, I, I think I can do that, but I think it's difficult, and it's very difficult, I think, for the listener to be able to follow what's going on if you do it like that. So, to me and particularly on the station that I commentate on, I I started to work out a bit of a shorthand of describing the feel of a rally, often sort of concentrating on just one of the players within the rally and describe what that player is doing, because by what that player is doing kind of tells you what the other player has already done in terms of which side they've pushed them onto, whether they've pushed them back in the court or forward in the court and what what the one you're focusing on is trying to do to negate the opposition or to put pressure on. And and so often if it's just a rallying uh, trade going on from the back of the court, won't describe every single shot because a lot of them are kind of irrelevant. These rally ball shots, are they're not doing much to decide the outcome of the point. Then you'll feel this injection. Somebody's hit it deeper or shorter or really gone after it and injected some pace and and is attacking the net and you can you you adapt accordingly so i suppose the pace of a rally and the feel and the, the volume that i'm speaking at will depend on the, on just where they are in that rally at any given time um and then using in the good times the pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic times using the crowd, using the sound of the crowd to determine the volume that I'm speaking at and the excitement levels and the speed with which I am delivering uh, a commentary. Um, and often there's a big exclamation mark to a winning shot. Try to get that winning shot description in just before the crowd realises it's the end of the point and then they will be the exclamation point to let you know what it was actually like in the stadium. Um, so apart from that, It's chat between the points, talking points, a bit like we're doing on the podcast right now, Um, colour, what's going on around. If somebody's bringing in a plate full of beer and hot dogs, then I'm going to be watching that and talking about it. Um, And yeah, it's just, I don't know, developed over the years. But I'll listen back. I'll listen back to pretty much every commentary I ever do. Uh, I'll listen back to a bit of it because the things I want to know that I'm doing and there are things I want to know that I'm not doing. And when I hear the ones that I don't want to be hearing, I have to correct it. Because there's some things that I do that really irritate me. And so uh, I've learnt that if you listen back to it, you can self-correct.
1: That was an instructional for everybody listening. You've just trained up the uh, the next generation of, well, your successes, <laughs> David.
0: I don't know whether that's... That was brilliant. That's right, but that's just how I do it. Can I check? So you said
2: you're first commentary experience like properly was what the 2003 australian open yeah so how did how did you end up doing commentary were you there in a in another capacity and they got you on as a commentator as well or did they just say you're a commentator like how did that go yeah is it
1: is it a bit like the pole vault, david like how do you do it for the first time (laughs) just sink or swim I was thinking
2: Uh, pole vault weren't you David as in on Twitter the pole vault I was
0: absolutely thinking that Matt yeah yeah, I think um, I mean I I went out there um, and just sort of paid my own way to go out there on the understanding that I might have a chance they were just launching this station on on BBC radio for more commentaries on a digital service and they'd said you know we're just trying to build this thing. And if they knew I was interested in in it and that I had all these contacts and whatever within tennis through my previous jobs, and if I was out there, then they would give me a chance to have a go. And so I did that. And uh, I, I remember the first match that I ever did was Mark Philippous's against Paradorn Shrichapan, Uh in the night session in the Australian Open. And it was an incredible match, five sets, I mean it would I would find it excruciating to listen to now I would be so awful in my ears I would think it was terrible but the only way you can really learn how to do it is just to do it and mm. find out if if you've got any sort of ability at it if it comes naturally to you or not and then like I say I listen back to it a lot and ask mm. advice as well
1: well the exact same applies to T V presenting for me. I, I I didn't know I could do it until I did it. I I had no idea. There's no way of replicating the scenario of, you know, that red light going on um and the pressure being on you and people talking in your ear. There's not really any way to replicate that. Um, in, in other areas of life so um, you know there's there's two distinct things with with my role there's this sort of there's the real mechanics of tv, TV presenting delivering links al- almost always without an auto cue i mean i i prefer without an auto cue personally but anyway there's delivering links there's knowing which camera to look at knowing how to look at the camera following the directions in in your ear. Um, yeah. yeah, Very, various different skills that accompany all of those, all of those things. And then there's the, you know, what's referenced specifically in this question is um, how does Catherine just come up with stuff to say on live TV? Well, for me, that's the easy bit because of the podcast. You know, I find, I find my job, my day job. It's, it's easiest when I just feel like it's the podcast and, we're just getting stuck into chat and I'm just, I'm asking the guest, guest questions because I'm interested to know the answer. That's when the job's easy. It's just sitting and chatting about something that I love with experts on the subject. What could be better? Um, and goodness me, the I mean, I feel sorry for people that have to have to sort of be thrown into that sink single swim situation without... Sort of years and years of podcasting experience behind them because it's you know it's like I it's like I was in training for it. Um, it's the absolute perfect preparation. And quite often, you know, during the slams when we're doing daily podcasts, I can, I mean, I'm totally giving away uh, trade secrets here, but I can just replicate replicate chats that we've had you know twelve hours before on the podcast, and I can bring them bring them to the TV. It's like it's like having a superpower doing this podcast um in terms of my my tv presenting so yeah there's sort of two distinct parts of the job and they're just chatting about tennis that's the that's the easiest bit I think um chatting about tennis whilst you know remembering to to every now and then glance at the right camera and having having one eye on the link that's coming up and having someone counting down in your in your ear and following a running order and all of that that's when that's when sort of different skills come into play but just knowing what questions to ask well generally speaking I ask what I'm interested to know because first and foremost foremost I'm a I'm a tennis fan and that's the that's the angle I tried to come at it with Um, now Matt we can't put this any off any longer have to come to you the questions for you were Can we hear more about your stat gathering and what you hope to do in addition to the podcast in later life?
2: This feels very small time now compared to live TV presenting and commentating on the radio.
1: Well, no, they've asked about you. You can, you know, you can cover your whole future life in this answer, yeah, Matt. That's true.
2: Um, I mean, mm. I think. In terms of stats, I sort of think of them as as facts, really. I've always had a brain for wanting to just know sports facts and I've been good at absorbing sports facts. And I think that's the key. I just get an idea, a, a spark for something I'm interested in and then just go with it. And the truth is I don't have any access to more data than anyone listening to this podcast now. You know, I've got maybe a few email addresses at the wta or the atp or the the itf people who do have access to databases and sometimes i use them to help me but most of the time i do it on my own you know it's a lot of just looking through old drawers and um player records you've just you've got to have the patience and the will to do that really um yourself um in terms of beyond the podcast god what a what a horrible thought um let's go with Let's go in addition no, to the podcast. the question that's was what it in said. addition to the podcast, yes, Matt. that's what it says. Okay. Um, I'd like to explore writing more, you know, long form, I suppose. I sort of get to give my opinions on here. I get to give match reports on here. And that's that's the way I like to consume sort of that quick, instant tennis um, content, I suppose. I, I love it, doing it on here on, in podcast form. Um But I like long-form writing. I like reading long-form writing and getting into a topic and speaking to people about it, constructing it. I would love to do more of that. Um, I get a lot of pleasure out of a finished written piece of work. I always have. Um, And, you know, maybe that would develop into writing a book one day that would be that would be the sort of ultimate aim I think but I'm aware that you can just say I want to write a book there's a lot more to it than that but I'd like to have a go I think I would regret later in life if I've not attempted to write a book
1: I'd really well, I want to read your book Matt yes yeah, so <laughs> no pressure but you're you're definitely definitely doing that um wow gosh how interesting. I have learned how to uh, commentate on Grand Slam finals and and aspire to be an author. I've just listened to a sort of tutorial. Brilliant. Um, what, a, what a great selection of questions. Uh, thank you to everybody that sent them in. Uh, and thank you in particular to Mike Lee, our guest editor for the week. Uh, next week's episode is also a listener question special. And um, it's a good job. It is because honestly, we had so many... Great questions come in. You've done us proud as you always do. So we'll be back with another one next week. Thank you to Mike for this week. Um, yeah, top notch selection of questions. And uh, as you can tell, we're with you on uh, being fans of the Underarm Serve. Um, we are, of course, as we will always be from now on, um, still uh, open to new friends of the tennis podcast it's it's your way of getting more from us as a podcast you can uh, access the friends of the tennis podcast dedicated feed which already features a brand new podcast called my first Wimbledon featuring the uh, the story of how I destroyed my parents home (laughs) with accompanying photos Um, and there are six podcasts from our archive on there as well um, friends also get several new shows before the Australian Open begins, into, including two new editions of Tennis Relived, which we're planning at the moment. Um, so if you want to become a friend to get access to the extra pods, to to lend your help and support to everything that we do, including the well over 100 free podcasts that we'll be producing in 2022, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, Um The link is in the show notes um, and across all of our platforms as well. Uh, our Our first podcast on the main tennis podcast feed in 2022 will be our season preview on January the 3rd. But of course, as I say, we'll be back before that with one more listener question special next week. Uh, Important last business, we have a mascot this week. Uh, It is Georgie, a whippet lurcher cross, uh, who turns three on Christmas Eve. Uh, She's owned by Beth and she was rescued from a shelter in Belfast and she now lives in Edinburgh. And honestly, she's she's so gorgeous. There's a picture of her on the beach here and she's the exact same colour as the sand and she just looks just so happy uh they're gorgeous dogs well whippets and lurchers but um yeah she's absolutely gorgeous gorgeous they've got such characterful faces uh, there's one here of her in what looks like a christmas hat uh but with leopard mm. leopard print uh trim which which is just marvelous uh well done georgie and well done beth for owning georgie um we have our own mascots, Scouser, Mousel, Rogue and Zeus. We have Billie Jean King and Alana that sponsor Billie Jean. And of course, we have Chris Albert-Lee, our executive producer and top bloke. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us via Friends of the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back with one more of these listener question specials next week. In